Scripture this morning is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor the the Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 8. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Now, Brian Pavlik is forgiven if at 11.38 a.m., he checks to see who the four teams are going to be, okay? The rest of you are not forgiven if uh, you do that. Um, In all seriousness, um, because of a couple of encounters I've had this week with people who don't think that they need rescue, I might go off the beaten path a bit with what I have to share this morning, and I think it might be incumbent upon us just to pray for people who don't realize they need rescue. Let me just say that, and we may get to that and just spend some time in prayer. Because I think this is so vital. You know, last week we talked about a wonderful counselor. All I want for Christmas is guidance. And we, we talked about that. Now we deal with the second name of Jesus from Isaiah 9, 6. Mighty God. Mighty God. You know, if, 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 you, if you were to ask people, what do you want for Christmas this year? How many people would actually say, I want someone to rescue me? I want someone to rescue me? You probably have very, very few people, and that is so tragic, so unfortunate, because there are many people who need just that. Rescue from the mighty God. Now, I actually took off my blazer, and I wanted to, this is what I look like when I teach over at Sanford. I got the sleeves rolled back, and I've got my nerdy pen here, as always, um, like professors do. And I'm doing that because coming up on final exams this next week, and whenever I'm lecturing, and some people have been in, in my classes whom I see even out here, uh, if I were ever to say um, something along the lines while I'm lecturing, and you know what, if I were ever to ask you on the next exam, that means get your pen out, get ready, take notes because this is important. Or I might just say, write this down. This is important. Take note of this. And I'll be real honest, I can't think of anything more important for, well, if you don't mind my saying, (laughs) to use the simple analogy, for our own final exam in this life, nothing more important than the need for us to be rescued by the mighty God, who is, in one sense, the Lord of this universe, who governs all of time and space as we know it. Now, since I'm talking about school and class, I'm going to rely on a teacher of science. Sue Davis, are you here? Sue, could you come up over here to where the, the candles are? And, and Sue, the 
scintillating scientist speaker. I'm being alliterative like Baptist preachers are so wont to do. She's going to offer us some facts that I have researched this past week. She, she will make it look more authoritative than I possibly could. But this definitely speaks to how our God, who created time and space as we know it, it really is the Lord and mighty God over all things. Sue, what have you got to share with us? A lot of numbers. Yes. <laughs> do we appreciate how fast we are always moving? You may feel as though you're sitting still right now, but it's an illusion. An illusion of miraculous proportions. Planet Earth is spinning around its axis at a speed of 1,000 miles per hour. Every 24 hours, planet Earth pulls off a celestial 360 degrees. We are also hurtling around through space at an average speed of 67,108 miles per hour around the sun. That's not just faster than a speeding bullet. It's 87 times faster than the speed of sound. So even on a day when you feel like you didn't get much done, just remember you traveled 1,599,793 miles through space. To top it off, the Milky Way is spinning like a galactic pinwheel at a dizzying rate of 483,000 miles per hour. And it is our mighty God who holds all of this incredible movement together. How else can we experience the mightiness of God? How about the vastness of the universe? This allows us to glimpse on the might and majesty of our creator. Let's assume the distance between the earth and the sun is reduced to a thickness of this sheet of paper. In truth, it's 92 million miles. If that is the case, then the distance between the earth and the nearest star would be a stack of paper 70 feet high. And the diameter of that galaxy would be a stack of papers 310 miles high. And to look at it another way, if the Milky Way galaxy were the size of the entire continent of North America, our solar system would fit in a coffee cup. Even now, two Voyager spacecraft are racing toward the edge of the solar system at a rate of 100,000 miles per hour. For almost 30 years, they have been speeding away from the Earth, approaching the distance of 9 billion miles. When engineers beam a command command to a spacecraft at the speed of light, it takes 13 hours to arrive. To send a light speed message to the edge of that universe would take 15 billion years. The galaxy is just a speck of dust in the universe, yet Jesus holds the universe together by the might of his power and word. From a scientific perspective, we see that our God is a mighty God. Is is that just not mind-blowing, all those facts? And he governs all of this and keeps it going. But let me offer this up. If you have any perceptiveness to you, there is a reality beyond this reality. There's a world beyond this world as we know it that is beyond time and space as we know it and experience it. I think if you have any perceptiveness to you, you will discern that in one way or another. If that is the case, my question for you this morning is, are you ready to get there? And do you know the means by which you can get there? In fact, the only means by which you can get there. He is not only the Lord of time and space as we know it, he is Lord of that which is beyond time and space, transcends time and space, And the question is, are you prepared to get there? He is the way to that next reality. He is the one who gets you from here to there. 
He's mighty to save. Those wonderful lyrics again. Savior, he can move the mountains. He can move the mountains. He can govern reality and time and space as we know it. But he can do something all the more. He is what? What did we just sing? He is mighty to what? Save. He is mighty to save. Forever author of salvation. He rose and conquered from the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Can I offer up to you this thought, this posture, that Jesus doing that is even more monumental than what he does in our universe as we know it. To take us to that next reality. And the means by which we do that is how he rose from the grave. That sure transcends time and space and natural law as we know it, doesn't it? And yet we find ourselves in a quandary, a plight that we call sin. That separation between ourselves and God. Now, folks, I have taught Christian doctrine for a long time. When I taught at Campbell University before I came to Sanford, Campbell University, home of the fighting camels, Campbell camels, Never, never, yeah, see, that was the effect every time. But good people up there. But I was the doctrinal professor. I taught Christian doctrine there for numerous classes for the two years that I was there. I feel like I'm fairly familiar with the major doctrines of the faith, whether it's the doctrine of creation or the doctrine of the Holy Spirit or the doctrine of the church or the doctrine of last things. But I must tell you that the longer I live, there is one doctrine that I respect by far more than any other, And it is indeed the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of hamartia, our capacity to miss the mark, our capacity to have that spiritual separation from God, which leads us to the reality that we are a part of such a broken world. It's interesting to me, and I find it very uh, naive for us to think that, that when sin came into the world, it just affected human beings, but it really wasn't a big deal. I think there are people out there who think that. It affected all of creation. Romans 8.22 puts it well. The whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth up to the present time. All of creation was impacted by sin. That's what Paul is saying there. And the sad thing is we have these symptoms of sin that we see all around us in ourselves, in our inner lives, and yes, in the world as we know it. But again, isn't it tragic that if you asked most people today, what do you want for Christmas? Would anybody say, all I really want or all I really need is rescue? The tragic thing is that very few people would say that. And I guess there's a difference between what you want for Christmas and what you need. Sometimes we get confused with want and need. Uh, A young child might really want a new Nintendo game or a new Wii game, but they're not mature enough to realize that long before they want that, what they need is what? Food and shelter and clothing but they're not mature enough yet, they're not really astute enough yet to see how important that basic need is. It takes maturity to realize that and to be thankful for that like a lot of us in here are. But the tragic thing is there are a lot of spiritually immature people out there, and I hope this doesn't sound judgmental, it's just the way it is. There are a lot of spiritually naive people out there, and I'm going to go on and throw it out and say there are a lot of intellectually naive people out there who don't take the time to really study up on all of this to discern that maybe I need to do something because of my plight as a sinner, being separated from God. I need to do something about that. The tragedy is we see these folks not obliging that call, that, that dire need, and they're just not doing it. And yet there's a mighty God who is so prepared to rescue them and wants to rescue them and does not want them to perish And how tragic it is when we have these situations where 
people don't even realize they are in a state of darkness, state of, may I say, doomedness. Many of us remember uh, February 1st, 2003, the space shuttle Columbia. Do you remember that on re-entry? It broke apart, fragmented, so tragic. All seven members of the crew were killed. What's so interesting is that the tragedy began at takeoff. Do you remember this? There was a piece of foam that hit the underside of the left wing and rendered it vulnerable to the heat of re-entry. Isn't that interesting? And, and, you know, it was doomed from the start. But for the next 16 days after takeoff, these seven crew members were going about their business, taking care of their mission, taking care of their, care, care of their tasks, not realizing that they were doomed, that this flight was doomed from the start. And it's very interesting if you study the history of it. NASA specialists began to debate, well, do we need to tell them about you know, possible damage to the underside of that wing? They decided to send them an email. The flight director sent them an email, and he said, there is abs- I'm quoting, there is absolutely no concern that breakaway foam harmed the spacecraft. So you had people in authority saying, oh, there's nothing wrong, nothing to be concerned about, everything's fine. But the crew was doomed from the beginning. They were in need of rescue and did not even know it. And you know what? What if they did know? Still, they didn't have the equipment, the expertise to handle it. Folks, is that not a pretty apt picture of you and me in our spiritual state of sin? Whether or not we're even aware of it, I'm afraid a lot of people are not aware of it or refuse to become aware of it. But there's no way you or I, because of our intellect or our street, marts, street smarts or our, our moral purity or any other way, there's no way that you and I can rescue ourselves. I hope we are all in sync on that. And it wasn't just a little thing. And, and you know, just like this voice of authority, the flight director was saying, oh, all is well, everything's okay. You've actually got people here who will say... You know, oh, don't worry, just, just trust our governmental leaders, uh, trust education, trust the economy, it'll get better, and everything in our little world is going to be okay. Are you kidding me? Again, I guess I just respect the doctrine of sin way too much, because I think when you really study that, you realize just how broken we are, and how desperately we are in need of a Savior. Uh, there's really no other way around that. It's, it's funny, you know, uh, uh, Horace was the great uh, Roman poet centuries ago, and he wrote a little book for writers of tragedies, uh, tragedy playwrights. And it was funny if you read it, because he's very critical of writers who too readily resort to the supernatural to help, you know, redeem or fix some kind of naughty situation that they find in one of their plots. And he actually said this, Do not bring a god onto the stage unless the problem is one that deserves a god to solve it. Now, I'm going to sound real preacherly to you now, and here it is. Here's a problem that only one God can solve, and it's the God we know through the self-disclosure, the definitive disclosure of himself through Jesus Christ. He is the means by which we remove our separateness from God and are saved from our sins. That's it. No amount of human effort can correct this issue. Doesn't matter how bright you are, how brilliant you are, how astute you are, you can't handle it on your own. Which, thanks be to God, brings us to Advent. (laughs) Those two wonderful names that we find in the gospel accounts of Jesus' birth. And his name shall be called, it starts with an E or sometimes an I. Can you help me? His name shall be called Emmanuel, which means what? 
God with us. Keep in mind, will you, that God didn't look down and say, look at this kid in this manger down here. He seems to have a lot of charisma to himself, seems to have a lot of compassion for other people. I can just discern that. So I'm going to give him some special powers, and ultimately, he'll die for everybody. No, God himself stepped out of eternity and condescended down, came down, emptied himself in the form of this baby. He didn't remain up in heaven. He came down Because of that degree of love for you and for me, the mighty God who who could do all these things that Sue read about stepped into our very plain and broken and mundane and tragic lives and situations to help us find the way to, yes, rescue. And the other name, Jesus which means what? Does anybody know? His name shall be called Jesus because he will save us from our sins. It comes from the Hebrew word Yeshua, the Hebrew name Yeshua, Joshua, which means save us from our sins, to rescue us, those two beautiful names. And I love how Zephaniah 3.17 kind of captures both of those. It says, the Lord your God is with you, Emmanuel, and he is mighty to save Jesus. Imagine if you would that the NASA engineers uh, diagnosed the problem and said, oh my gosh, we've got to get another shuttle up there to rescue these seven people. Now, this didn't happen, but let's just say that it did. And they were able to, to uh, take up another shuttle up there, and it could, it could fly you know, parallel to the shuttle Columbia. And the people on the Columbia have been made aware, hey, the, you, you're in dire danger here. And we're sending somebody up. Well, let's say that those two ships are now, you know, right beside each other flying along. And a courageous astronaut in the rescue shuttle uh, gets tethered and walks across space in a sense and comes up to the door of the Columbia and knocks on the door and says, it's time to go. (laughs) Follow me. Could you imagine anybody of the seven on that doomed ship saying, do we really need to do it this way? Are things really that bad? Is there another way by which we can do this? No, they would be grateful simply having the opportunity to be rescued at that point. Well, friends, that's what Jesus does for us. He knocks on our door and says, follow me to safety. We're talking about a matter of life and death here, spiritual life and spiritual death. Can I offer up to you that this God who governs all of time and space, and yet is beyond time and space. And there was a beautiful way of depicting that by rising from the dead. If Jesus rose from the grave, then let me offer up that maybe he just is the standard of truth, that he is the king of kings and the mighty God whom he claimed to be. And if that is the case, maybe it's time for you or someone you care about to give their life over to him. But it takes not just, when we keep talking about this book, not a fan, not just being a fan of Jesus, but being his follower. Really echoing the words of Jesus from Gethsemane, not my will, but yours. I once heard a black preacher, I just loved it, he said, you can't say your kingdom come until you say my kingdom go. Love that. You cannot say your kingdom come to me until I can say my kingdom go, because it's all his, ultimately. We're talking about a yieldedness, a surrendering to him. Surrendering, wouldn't you want to surrender to this mighty God who holds all this in place the way he does and yet came down to us and surrendered his life 
on the cross for you and for me out of that unconditional love for you and for me. I'd like to just take a few moments, if you will. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And if, if you have never really taken the time to consider all of what we're talking about here, that this mighty God offers you a way out from this broken world. And it's a wonderful life that begins even now. You're not just saved from something, you're saved to something. You're saved to this amazing life with him that begins even now, but goes way beyond this life. Have you ever seriously taken time to consider that? If not, will you do that right now? Maybe the Spirit is speaking to you right now and inviting you to consider becoming a follower of him. In no way does he want you to perish And that's because of his love for you. Do you have this sense in your heart, an empty place, a spiritual void? Do you have this sense of something is not quite right between me and God? And you're needing to fill that. You're needing to have that connectedness with God. The way to do that is through his son, Jesus, who died for you because the cross became that bridge to the almighty God with whom you can have relationship from now and forevermore. Are you willing to dare to take that moment right now and give your life over to him? Would you pray about that right now? And let me address those of us who are already believers. Are you sensing a distance from Christ right now? Not where you're falling off the edge because he's not going to let up on his end of the covenant He has given himself over to you. He's not going to give up on you. But has it been way too long since you have had the relationship with Jesus that you know you need to have? And here he is knocking and waiting, not giving up on you, not giving up on his end of the covenant when you became one with him. But it's time for you to give your heart back to him in fullness, not just being an admirer, not just tipping your hat to him, not just being a fan, but being his follower, full throttle in surrenderedness and yieldedness to him. Maybe it's time for you to do that this moment. Will you pray about that? And if we could just spend some time just in meditation and prayer for people who don't know Christ for whatever reason, sometimes the responsibility is more on us than them because we haven't taken the time to get the word out to them. But do you know someone who is not a Christ follower? Who comes to the surface of your mind and your heart? Would you just take a few minutes of silence, a few minutes of silent prayer for that person that they would come to know the Christ, the living Christ, who offers all of us eternal life. Will you do that?
Lord, sometimes it's pride. Sometimes it's way too much trust in our own intellectual acumen (laughs) when that's really utterly naive. Sometimes it is just a superficial rejection of you. For some, it's not really wanting to give over so much time and energy and, yes, all of ourselves to you. For some people, it's fear because they misunderstand how incredibly unconditionally loving you are. That you didn't come here to hunt us. You came to seek us. Lord, forgive us as believers or unbelievers for turning our backs on you. Redeem our situations, whether it's for the first time or for the hundredth time. We ask that we would do our part, that our relationship with you would be mended. We thank you so much that you are indeed the mighty God who not only holds all of this existence together, but who offers us rescue and life way beyond this life. For that we have reason to give thanks for this incredible act of grace that Jesus did on the cross. And it is in his incredible name that we pray. Amen.